listening to the Theosophia podcast, a platform for women's voices and theology, curated by Sarah Elizabeth Smith and Kelsey Davis. Be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com theosophia and consider supporting this labor of love project for women's empowerment. This week we are sharing my latest sermon. It is my first Sunday morning sermon at my home church of Grace Episcopal in Yukon, Oklahoma. I am so blessed and thankful to be a part of this faith community. Grace is a very special place and I'm honored to walk with them through my ordination journey. So in the Episcopal tradition, we preach on the gospel text from the lectionary. This is a homiletical custom across the Anglican communion. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the Catholic and mainland Protestant churches follow a lectionary calendar, which is a liturgical guide for feast days and scripture readings that goes into a cycle of three years, I believe. And we develop sermons around the gospel reading for that particular day in the calendar. And last Sunday's reading was Luke 11, 1 through 13. So I'll read the texts so you all know what I'm working with, and then I will share my sermon. So I took a pastoral approach to the text instead of a strictly theological one. Um, This means I was meeting the people where they are and offering a personal story to relate to the congregation. I wasn't coming at the text with a, a teaching head, but rather coming at it with a heart of love and compassion. And these two aren't necessarily opposites, but it does matter how you approach a text when you're interpreting it to make a message to a community. So here's a reading from the Gospel of Luke from the NRSV translation, which our church uses most. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The 
Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I usually have my computer, so I might be a little awkward with this paper, but I thought you could see me better without my laptop in the way. But it's so good to be with y'all today, and thank you to my family coming. My grandma, my brother, my parents are here, so say hi to them afterwards. They're Methodists, so don't hold that against them. (laughs) No, we love our Methodist friends, don't we? So do y'all know I've been waiting two whole years to preach on a Sunday here? Two years. That's how long I've been here, and I've been, like, chomping at the bit to get here. But I just want to thank real quick Father Tim and Mother Kirsten for giving me this opportunity and for Grace Church, for all y'all. You're sponsoring me for the aspirancy program. Do y'all know that? Okay. <laughs> y'all got to be holding me accountable up here. So, And loving me and encouraging me along this path. So I'm so grateful to be a part of this church family. So I'll never forget the first time I came to Grace. I think it was the celebration dinner. It was almost two years ago. I just moved back in town from Ohio, of all places. I remember much of the first six months of worshiping in grace. I would cry at some point during the service, usually at the prayers of the people, when we acknowledged death or intercessions, or when we had space for healing prayer with one of the priests on the side during communion. And I'll always remember, Teresa Williams came up to me and said something during that dinner. It's one point saying, Sarah, I can tell that you're going through something, that you're sad. But know that you are loved, and you are welcome here, and we've got your back. Might have not been verbatim, but it was something super sweet and powerful, and it's exactly what I needed to hear. So thank you, Teresa, and thank you to all the elders of the church who have shown such great love and hospitality to me. Y'all are so important to the church, and I think you set the example for how the church loves. So most of you don't know this part of my story, but during divinity school, when I was in Nashville studying at Vanderbilt, I met the love of my life, and I got married two weeks after I graduated in May 2016. Having finished my third degree of higher education, I gave up my desires to pursue the priesthood, and I decided to follow my wife's coaching career. We moved to Dayton, Ohio, where we knew no one, and we had nothing. Our relationship quickly deteriorated. It became toxic, unhealthy, abusive, soul-sucking, and death-dealing. I lost all hope for my life and all sense of self. I was lost, spinning in chaos, and couldn't hardly breathe through the panic attacks I started to have weekly. And if you know me as this strong, independent, energetic pistol of a woman standing here before you, you would have been shocked to see me back then. I'm telling you this not for you to feel sorry for me. I'm sure many in the room have dealt with more intense and serious traumas than me, but I want you to get to know me and hear from me about a way in which God has shown up in my life in a time of great pain. So there were two prayers I would say over and over again during my panic attacks the Lord's Prayer, and the Hail Mary. It was this very primal and natural thing I did without even thinking about it. It was my reaction to my visceral conditions. I innately turned to liturgy. It connected me to my humanity and the millennia of people who called on God in these exact same words. I called on God to save me, to comfort me, and to soothe me. 
Jesus taught us how to pray in the text today. Remember Helen was giving us today. It wasn't a nice, polite little prayer of pleasantries with God. No, it was a demanding prayer. It was a persistent prayer meant to be said over and over again. Jesus said, when you pray, right? Suggesting we do this over and over. We call on God with our desires, our wants, our needs. Lord, give us that daily bread. Forgive us. Lead us. These aren't passive words, but they're rather active ones, right? Meant to initiate the divine spirit from within, not out in our communities, not from some cloud on high, but right here within ourselves. One of my favorite things about the biblical text is that the folks that created the canon left multiple versions of stories in the text. We got two creation stories in Genesis, right? And then we've got four gospels. I mean, there's a lot of different variations. And a tons of different ways we hear the parables and sayings of Jesus. So we got two versions of the Lord's Prayer. One in Luke, which is the one we had today, which is very abbreviated. And one, the longer one, you guys are used to, we're saying during the Eucharist. And that one starts with the Our Father, meant to kind of be a communal understanding of the prayer. But this one we recited today just starts with Father. So it's a little more individualistically focused, which is good. We need both. But I love that the Bible has these variations because it mirrors human reality. The tensions we must hold as living, as enfleshed spirits, and as individuals living in community. There are many ways to not only read the text, but how to interpret it, how to live it out, and a million more ways of how we encounter the divine. And I think one of the most powerful ways we can encounter God and access her wisdom is within our own selves. Oftentimes, I think we take for granted the concept of Imago Dei, that we were made in God's image, right? But don't forget, God breathed life into us. God gave us our consciousness. God's breath is our consciousness. Think about that for a minute. The great African-American mystic Howard Thurman says that God is the very source of life. Our bodies and our souls existing as one in this living, breathing thing we call a human being. So God put God's self into us so that we might live as God lives. We are not alone, y'all. We are genetically made of God. Isn't this incredible? Our very being is made of Godness. So when I was alone in the depths of darkness and despair, and I called on God, and she showed me myself. Is this making sense? When I gave up my personhood for my marriage, I lost God. I couldn't hear her anymore. I couldn't thrive or function or be this beautiful, strong, independent, intelligent woman that stands before you today. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. I slowly realized I couldn't make it out of this hole of depression and trauma by myself. But God started to speak in that still, small voice 
ever so much as a whisper telling me to go home. I remember crying out at night, literally reaching out and screaming for my mother to come and hold me. God was telling me what to do in my very body. I finally gave in to her and made an action. I called my parents. I went and stayed with my second mother in Pennsylvania until my mom and my best friend could come get me from Oklahoma. We packed up my things, and I came home. I chose to save my life because God chooses my life. Y'all, God is on our side. God wants us to be happy, to flourish, to thrive, to love, to be happy, to enjoy this life. God chooses your life. Do y'all know this? God is on your side. God is on our side. Knock and the door will be open, Jesus said. He didn't say wait around and sit on the couch and eat bonbons all day. At least I don't remember hearing that. Jesus said to get off your behind and do something. Choose yourself. Because choosing yourself is choosing God. Let me be clear. Don't get this twisted. I'm not saying be self-absorbed and selfish to the detriment of your community and your relationships. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we all know self-sacrifice is a Christian value. Jesus empties himself for us on the cross and how he lived his life for others. And I think we should do the same. But if we have no self, then what self do we have to give? Let me say this a little differently. You can't give of yourself if you have no self, right? So what are we waiting around for? Is being miserable and suffering what God wants for us? How are you contributing to God's kingdom on earth if you're lying on the floor? Or staying in that toxic relationship? Or not taking care of your body? Why are you choosing to be silent to do nothing? Woman, get off the floor and choose life in the fullest. See, with Jesus, there was always and is always an action item for us. We don't have a passive God and a passive faith. Our God lives. She lives in our bodies and our hearts and our minds and in the rocks and the trees and all of creation. But we have to choose to live with her in all of her ways. We have agency. We have responsibility in this life to choose God. Thereby, we must also choose ourselves. The moment we neglect our godness, our world will be thrown into chaos. This is why we not only have doctors for our bodies, but doctors also for our heads and our hearts too, right? We are enfleshed spirits, enlivened and emboldened by our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, our father in heaven, right? Jesus said a father wouldn't give his child a scorpion if he asked for a fish, right? The metaphor of God as father is very powerful here. Jesus is saying that he wants to provide for us, to provide what makes us live, what makes us happy. This is a God that loves. I want you all to know that I'm fully aware of situations where folks may not have agency to take action. I get that. 
I pray for those kids in cages and women drugged and sold into sex slavery. I do. And I pray for those struggling for mental illness and those who are sick and who are dying. I know my message isn't going to save everyone, but I do believe we have a God that saves. Jesus came down, I think, not to save us from ourselves, but to reveal that God's self was already in us and around us and of our very flesh. And for those who do not have agency, this is where the body of Christ comes in. But we can't act out of love and compassion if we first don't know how to act with love and compassion for ourselves. So knock, woman. Open that door. God is waiting for you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week, y'all. I hope you took something away from my experiential message today. Know you're loved and choose yourself every day just as God does. We will see you next week with Kelsey and I's fabulous interview with the lovely Reverend Jackie Lewis from our time at Wild Goose Festival. As always, be sure to stay in touch with us on all of the social media platforms and visit our Patreon page and consider supporting the Theosophia podcast. We'll see y'all next week. Peace.